Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Perry, Merrick Scopel on the show as always, and we've got a commitment show. Um, it's been a busy week for a, from a recruiting standpoint for the three biggest programs that we follow, football, men's and women's basketball. All three programs had probably when you combine everything up, Eric, what, 25 or so visitors on campus. It was a, a pretty jam-packed weekend for all three programs. Yeah, no kidding. I don't know the exact count. We probably we probably could do it pretty easily between the, the three programs. And yeah, it's 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 got to be close to a couple dozen. And it's not just a couple dozen nobodies. It's a couple dozen really big recruits for each program. And we've got all that information on duckterritory.com from a visitor list perspective. Um, but it was advantageous too, because as we're going to talk about on this podcast, a couple of the programs added some pretty significant verbal commitments and, yep. and, and for women's basketball, it got the first one in the class to kind of get things rolling. So um, a very, I think a successful start to June again, and we talked about it before that finally lifted the restrictions. And I think all three programs really took advantage of that this past week. Yeah. We'll start with the women's team from a basketball perspective. The football program also landed a verbal commitment. Um, We'll go in chronological order here. And Jenna Asai is the first person to commit while on her visit this past weekend or this week. Um, a four-star prospect in the 2022 recruiting class uh, out of the state of Arizona, a guard. Uh, Eric, what can you tell us about – you spoke with her. What can you tell us about her and what? why did she choose Oregon? What did Kelly Graves and – his coaching staff do to, to deliver the big, the big news here. Yeah. First off, there's a full story with quotes from Jenna up on duckterritory.com. So if you're unfamiliar, you want to kind of get all the details, you can go there um, to check that out. Um, but I will, I will provide some of the details here. Of, you know, first off, nobody's been able to visit campus. And I think for a lot of these players, and you're going to see this, they were just kind of waiting, you know, to get on campus before they could make a decision. Jenna told me that Oregon was always the favorite. And that they always let, she hadn't even scheduled a second or third official visit this month, which she obviously could have done. She was on campus the first day of June, <laughs> came to Oregon and then committed a couple of days later. Like, I, and as she said, like, basically if the boxes were checked, which they were clearly, she was going to commit. So um, it all kind of aligned. She talked about the relationships with the coaches. Um, she had some pre-existing relationships with some of the players um, and families and uh, I, I think it's kind of interesting, you know, hearing her talk about the way the other families recruited her family. And I don't know if that typically happens with, with sports. And I, I don't know much we talk about that, but from, and this is maybe a, an angle later, but how some of the uh, parents of other players currently on the roster had kind of reached out and, 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 and already knew Jenna Asai's family and kind of just kind of, hey, Oregon's a really good fit. She should come join the program. And that played a little bit of a role. Um, and then I think a big part was Kelly Graves stuck with Jenna despite two I don't want to say significant, but two knee, knee injuries. She tore her ACL her freshman year down in Arizona and then actually tore her meniscus um, in February of this year. And, you know, Oregon didn't back off. They stuck with her. And she said that felt significant, just that they 
They trusted her and her rehab. And, and she says she's back 100%. So I think that part certainly is beneficial too. And, and then just kind of the last two components that she said she has two goals for herself in basketball. She wants to win a national championship in college and she wants to play in the WNBA. And to her, um, Oregon was a perfect fit for both of those. Oregon was obviously very close recently to winning and competing for championships. And because of those players on that roster, they sent three in the first round a couple of years ago and two of the top picks. And so she sees kind of that path there. So that's kind of a couple of things I think played a role here. And, and for Oregon, I think a really good get to start this class. Um, six foot, I think fairly broad in terms of her, her build and, and somebody who can really get to the rim effectively and is, and is really good defensively to average over three steals per game um, last year. How do you feel like she fits into the core group of guards that Oregon's got on this roster right now? Because when she arrives on campus mm -hmm. for the 2022-2023 season, a lot of Oregon's current guards right now will still be on, on campus. Yeah, I mean, all I think everybody could be in theory yeah. on on the roster right now. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of things will change, but yeah, I, I, I think it's she's she's not overly similar to anyone else already on the team. Like the maybe the closest fit would be like a Maddie Shear, um, but I don't know if they're that similar because Maddie is more of like a playmaking guard and who's maybe a little bit better of an on ball defender, whereas Jenna is more of an off ball. Um, you know, not a fantastic three-point shooter. That's an area she told me she wants to work on, but really, really good at getting to the rim. Um, you know, good mid-range game, can kind of score more from two-point range um, than from three. And defensively, as I said, she's she's really aggressive in the passing lane. I don't know if she's like quite the same level as Maddie Shear in terms of an uh, on-ball defender. So those are kind of some of the things there. So I, I think it's an interesting fit in terms of she doesn't feel like the same type of player that anyone else on the roster is. And I think you looked at a couple of players that transferred this offseason, and you could probably argue that Taylor Chavez, Jazz Shelley, and Taylor Mike sell. I don't think any of them were like identical with each other, but that there were some similar traits and overlaps there um, that made them kind of choose my words carefully. I don't want to say redundant because that seems really mean, but like that, that just made it so it was hard for them to all play together because they all did similar things. I think Jenna Asai is, is different from Oregon's current players on the roster. Um, and I think that's beneficial. I, I think it'll be interesting to sort of see where the program's at and kind of, you know, what, who's still on the team when that takes place. Cause I'm assuming you'll probably see some players leave, but I think where things are at right now, I think it's a really, really good fit. And it, again, it starts off this class on a really good note because you need to get that first domino and, and genocide is a pretty darn good first domino to knock over. Yeah. I was just going to say, she's the first of. I don't know how many recruits they're going to sign, Eric, in the 2022 class, but she is the first. She's the 35th best player overall in the country. Uh, Kelly Graves continues to, to pull in really good guard prospects. Um, real quick, before we turn it over to football, I guess what's kind of the, the focus for this class you feel like? what What's next for them to find? If they, have, they need to find one or two more players, what are, the, what are the, the attributes they need to have when they go target these players? I think they need a lead guard. They need a point guard without question. Um, you know, uh, Tahina Palpel will be on the roster in 2022-23, but there's a chance that could be her last year or her second to last year, depending upon if she decides to go pro early which is a possibility um and she's obviously going to be your lead guard for the foreseeable future i think oregon needs to go get another one in this class um chance gray who was on campus recently is a five-star one of the best point guards in this class would make an awful lot of sense if that's the way it plays out that's a huge win for this program in terms of 
continuing this stretch of really good guard play and point guard play. So I think that's important. There's some other players out there um, that, that they're in on that, you know, besides Chance Gray that they could land. And, and I think they really do need a couple, maybe one to two big players because I look at Sedona Prince and I look at Nira Sabali and I think this next year could in theory be their last year. And if it's not, it could be the year after that. So you do need to kind of retool and reload in the front court. Outside of Prince and Sabali, you have a few players who are of that size who can play the center position. You know, you've got an incoming signee in Filipina Che at 6'8", and you've got Kylie Watson, who's going to be in her second year next year, and she's about 6'5". And that's kind of all you've got behind those top two. So going and finding a 6'5", 6'6", 6'7", player who could play center, who could play power forward. I think that's another you know angle to look into. Oregon had a couple of players that kind of fit that mold on campus this past week. Um, Grace Van Sluten and Kennedy Basham. Basham being 6'7", would fit kind of the center role. Maybe Van Sluten's more of a you know power forward, uh, small forward type of player. But I, I do think you need a lead guard and you need someone who's big to fill out this class. And I don't think it's going to be just a three-player class. Like, I don't think it's just two additions. I think it's probably going to be closer to three or four. Um, but again, some of that's going to depend upon what happens over the next six to eight months with, with players staying or, or, or leaving. Right. From a football perspective, let's transition now over here. They, they landed a verbal commitment, and it came from three-star defensive lineman Sir Mells, a player that will most likely end up being kind of your key cog in the middle of your defensive line, a nose tackle, defensive tackle, if you will. Um, Oregon, or I shouldn't say Oregon, 24-7 sports, we've kind of a, adjusted our recruiting rankings and positions, and no longer do we have defensive ends and strong side defensive ends or weak side defensive ends or nose tackles or D tackles uh, or outside linebackers for that matter. It's edge players, and those are outside linebacker defensive end type body types. And then we have D linemen guys that are, um, I guess probably your D tackle, your nose tackle, and, and maybe even like what traditionally would be like your strong side defensive end type guy, like an Austin Folio. If you're kind of looking for a player comp, um, Sir Mills is a defensive lineman. Oregon's looking at him as a nose tackle, defensive tackle for the ducks. Uh, six foot four, 310 pound prospect, Liberty High School in Henderson, Nevada, uh, just outside of Las Vegas. And this is a big get, Eric. I, I know you and I are, are both very high on him despite a three star ranking, just because his body type, his talent, it doesn't happen. There's not a lot of these types of players out West. And yeah. He is one of the best defensive linemen out West and Oregon went out and, and, and got his verbal commitment after his official visit. I, I should say during, he committed during his visit. I, I was going to go exactly where you went in terms of my first instinct here is, Hey, Oregon does not typically have interior guys from back to a footprint. You know, usually they, I mean, you think about it. Jordan Scott was their starting nose tackle for four years. He's from Florida. Um, the guys competing this year for those type of positions, guys like Brandon Dorless and Christian Williams, interior guys, from Florida and Tennessee. And, and there are some other guys on the team. Kian Ware Hudson and Popo Mave are both from California. So there's obviously some success there, but Oregon has had a lot of times to go out of its footprint to get big bodies, to get interior defensive linemen. And, and frankly, sometimes bigger bodies on the offensive line too. I have had to leave the West. So to get somebody who's within, you know, it's, it's from Nevada. It's not very far away. A, a player who obviously a lot of Pac-12 schools 
we're very high on. Washington offered a scholarship, had a verbal commitment before Oregon jumped in a couple months ago. I think that sort of speaks to the value of a player like Surmels. You know, if he's, you know, if, he, if he's in SEC country, maybe he's not quite a high as high of a priority because they've got so many big bodies who are 6'4", 3'10", like he is. But out West, he's a really prime target for a lot of these programs just because you don't have a lot of guys with this body type and athleticism. And I think, frankly, he's 6'4", 3'10", and he moves really well. And I know his ranking is his ranking, and, and I'm going to respect those who do it because they know what they're doing more than I do. But I, I, I look at him and think this is a guy who maybe he's not an instant immediate impact player but who I'm not going to be like surprised at all by the time he's done at Oregon. If he's a, you know, a player who's really contributed at a high level, who's maybe started towards the back end of his career, who's maybe been a, a key reserve before that. Um, I, I, I think he's a high end player. And again, the fact that you can get a, a 310 pound interior lineman from, you know, a couple States away rather than having to go to the Southeast is I think just a big win in and of itself. Uh, Blair and Guillo are mountain and Hawaii region um, analyst for 24-7 sports, he actually popped on to DuckTerritory.com and mentioned that had a junior season been able to, to go forth and, and be played in its a normal capacity, and mm-hmm. if the camp circuits had, had been able to go through last year, that he felt like Sir Mel's would, would have been higher ranked. It's just his three-star ranking right now is – and this is where I'm speaking now – Sure. It is, is in part because there weren't opportunities to evaluate him and he could be a player as a senior. And if he goes out and does some of these camps that are starting to pop up this summer uh, and then does a really good job in the fall in, in Nevada high school football, he could see his ranking go up. And, mm-hmm. you know, so there is, there is traction here of, uh, of a player that Oregon's getting that, He's a three-star now, but it might change. You know, there is that possibility where he gets that ratings bump. And nonetheless, three-star, four-star or not, I think the fact that a good chunk of Pac-12 schools offered him, uh, when you look at the, 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 the schools that offered him, it's, it's a good sign there as well. And on top of that, like Eric and I have said, he's one of the best guys at the position in the region you always want to sign those, you know, those types of players. Um, and it's a state now, Eric, in Nevada, where just like Arizona a couple years ago, just like Utah is right now, Oregon seems to be kind of de- developing a little bit of a niche here in the state of Nevada over the last couple of years. Um, in the 2021 class, they signed Maliki Matabo. Uh yep. There's a story up on DuckTerritory.com on Monday that Eric wrote about him and his impact uh, in in spring football. Um, You go back to the 2020 class, and Oregon went into Nevada again and signed Jackson LaDuke. So it's it's a state that is starting to produce more and more signees or verbal commitments for Sir Mills' perspective for the Ducks. How about this? I mean, talk about a loaded state. Sir Mills is the 12th best player in the state of Nevada, according to the 247 composite rankings. Um, and he's a guy that Oregon got a verbal, just got a verbal commitment from, that Washington had a verbal commitment from. And they think there's 11 players better in that state. And that just speaks to why that's a place to put some effort in. And, and Oregon had a couple of them on campus this weekend, too. Um, Cyrus Moss is, is the second best player in the state. And uh, <laughs> we've talked about him a little bit. And this is probably 
as close as you can get to a Kayvon Thibodeau replacement in this class. And that's certainly from what we've seen, you know, heard on the ground was part of the pitch. Um, and then Robbie Snelling, a linebacker, is the eighth best player from the state. He was also on campus. He plays baseball as well. Um, it's a state where you're going to see Oregon really push. And I, you know, it's been notable, as Matt said, the way that they've, um, I guess, expanded in kind of the mountain region and really hit up Arizona and Utah and had a ton of success. And they've kind of started to do that in Nevada this year's class, because there's so many good players in, in Nevada. Like I said, I mean, Cyrus Moss is a heck of a player, a top 50 yep. player. He's the second best player in that state. Zion branch, a safety Oregon. I know has also been recruiting along with his brother is a guy who's the best player in the state. So another state that's having a really strong year that Oregon hasn't always had a ton of success with, but it looks like they're turning it around a little bit. And I think the fact that you've now seen that happen in Arizona, Utah before, and now it looks like, you know, and again, Mel's is one commitment, but if they have a bunch of success in Nevada, I think that just speaks to the fact that the staff can really recruit anywhere yeah. whenever they need to. And when there's a big prospect that's kind of within, you know, a flight distance, um, they're not going to be easy to beat for those guys. It's interesting how the – the dominance has migrated. It started in SoCal under Mario Cristobal. Yeah. And then it kind of moved east a little bit to Arizona. And then it moved up to Utah. And now it's going into Nevada. Um, it, it's really interesting to watch that. Oregon's still strong in SoCal. I mean, we've had Greg Biggins on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, and he mentioned how, you know, SoCal and the San Diego area in particular – San Diego specifically has kind of turned into duck country, you know, like all the big, big dogs that are, that are coming out of that area are leaning heavily towards Oregon. And you look at Nevada, it's starting to go that way. Oregon's got a strong reputation in the Phoenix Metro area. Yeah. Um, they've got a really, really vice grip tight vice grip right now on the state of Utah um, for whatever reason. The last couple of seasons, I'm sure Panay Sewell has helped in that regard. Noah Sewell, uh, but uh, they've they've really tightened their grip there, and it's, it's starting to spread a little bit. And this is kind of what's fun about following recruiting is, at, at a year to year perspective, you don't see this, but when you start stacking year after year after year, and you start looking at the growth and the spread of a program's pull. We're starting to see that play out. Sir Mel's being the latest guy as Oregon dips into the state of Nevada for a verbal commitment. Now, he was one of about 13 players that was on campus this past weekend for an official or an official visit. Um, Oregon had a handful of guys fly in for officials, and then they also had a couple of guys in the area swoop in for unofficial visits on their own dime for the day. And that, that period is also going to play out, you know, as of Monday, June 7th, when we recorded this podcast, uh, 2023 three-star offensive lineman Landon Hatchet will be on campus June 8th, four-star 2022 prospect corner Toriano pride will begin his official visit uh, a couple days later. Jackson Boy, a three-star defensive end, will begin his official visit. So uh, we're now in that stretch where it feels like every single day there's going to be some prospect on campus, and it started with this weekend with 13 guys uh, on campus. Big names, Eric already mentioned, Cyrus Moss, a four-star edge player. Oregon's recruiting him as a defensive end. He's, I believe, the highest-rated four-star prospect in the country. 
Oregon commits Landon Hullaby and Steven Johnson. Hullaby, a four-star safety. Johnson, a three-star wide receiver. Both guys, I felt like, Eric, this was – we'll talk about these two in particular. It sure. was very important for Oregon, I think, to get these guys on campus quickly because you didn't want to see them, hey, you know what, I'm going to go out to, to Texas A&M for an official visit even though I'm, I'm committed to Oregon and check things out. Uh, and, and, oh, wow, this A&M visit was pretty cool. I, I had a great time. I think I'm going to go check out maybe now Oklahoma or Oklahoma State uh, and, and go out there. And, oh, I had another great time at, at, at this school. I, you know what? I'm going to back off my commitment to Oregon. I still like Oregon a lot, but I want to I want to just open things up and, and really kind of consider other schools. I think it was critical to get these two guys on campus, and it looks like, it sounds like Oregon kind of dominated and blew them both away in terms of what they're committed to right now. Right. I mean, you want to solidify these commitments and you want to lock them in. And it sounds like that's the case. And and I think you're right in terms of especially guys from like a state like Texas or, or a state that's a little bit further away, you know, that haven't been on the campus before. You really want to make sure they get there before they see anything else is my perspective, because now everybody is comparing their program to Oregon and Oregon can really set the bar high with its facilities and it can really set the bar high with its coaching staff and the energy there. And and, and frankly, just the talent on the team. I think you can, you can set the bar very, very high there. And I'm not saying you can't go to a school, you know, talk about Johnson and Hullaby and say Texas and find something comparable with some of those other, you know, the facilities, staff and and players, but you can certainly make it very difficult for other schools because of the way Oregon presents itself. I mean, they have a lot of advantages. And so to get that first visit, I think it makes sense. It makes it, I think, challenging for other schools to come in and try to swoop in, which you know they're going to, especially with players of this caliber um, from from that state with everything that's, you know, in the surrounding region. So I think big start there. And we mentioned it before. There are a couple of other visitors from the state of Texas. I think, you know, we've I know I made note of this, I think, when we, re- we were previewing the visiting weekend about a week ago of I think it's pretty significant to when you host visitors to have at least a couple of guys from the same region around so that they can envision themselves being, you know, kind of living this together because it's, it can be a tough ask to ask an 18 year old kid to move from across the country by himself. But if you can say, Hey, you're going to move out here, but Hey, here's some two or three of your guys that maybe, you know, beforehand, maybe you don't, but at least from the same area that you might be playing with, I think that certainly benefits, um, you know, the ducks and trying to, to sway somebody from across the country and, and bringing in Johnson and Hullaby together, along with a couple of other players from the state of Texas, I think is it both beneficial for the guys committed, but also those that are that are taking it in for the first time and that are still looking at other schools. Other players on campus that are really kind of generating a buzz right now. Um, I think we have to start with a linebacker prospect that was at one time committed to Stanford for baseball. Um, he's a two port, a two port. <laughs> Two-sport athlete. He plans to play both baseball and football in college. Um, Robbie Snelling, um, we mentioned it in Nevada with Sir Mel's. He's from Reno. Um, Steve Wiltfong, our uh, 24-7 sports national recruiting analyst, he's actually thrown in the first crystal ball for Snelling to commit to Oregon. Um, four-star linebacker, six foot three, 200 pounds. He's rated as an athlete, but Oregon likes him as a, as a linebacker. Ken Wilson, the linebackers coach, is, is recruiting him as the primary assistant for Oregon. He's got a couple other visits lined up, so it doesn't sound like a commitment's going to happen in the immediate future. He's, he's going to go check out Texas on the 11th, and then on the 18th, he's going to go check out Arizona. And then he's he'd like to maybe host uh, 
an official visit to, or, you know, host a couple more official visits in the fall. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens there, but it wouldn't surprise me, Eric, if Robbie Snelling ends up giving a verbal commitment, maybe end of June to Oregon after he sees those two other programs. And this is an interesting prospect that I think is just touching his potential. Kind of similar to the Robbie Ashford thing where you, you're, you are going to have to be wary of, is he going to take a peek at the MLB draft at the end of this or something? Because from what I, my understanding is he's a top tier baseball player as well. Um, and Oregon is recruiting him for both sports with that in mind. Um, I always get a little nervous just because you can, in theory, sign that contract and go pro Oregon baseball fans know that full well, because yeah, I haven't looked at the last couple of classes, but I remember, you know, obviously like I think uh, was it Belling, you know, Cody Bellinger was an Oregon baseball commitment, but he ends up signing yeah. at a high school. I mean, there's a bunch of other guys like that who maybe didn't make it quite as far as he did that are stuck in the minors or maybe players that are in the majors, but you see that happen. So I, I I'm always slightly aware of that, but, you know, this is a really exciting athlete from my perspective. And Oregon obviously has had a ton of success at linebacker the last couple of cycles. And I'm not saying Snelling's going to be a better prospect than a lot of guys Oregon has signed because Oregon has some five-star caliber players on, on campus right now. But this would be a player who would be, I think, a difference maker. And maybe reminds me a little bit of Jackson LaDuke. And maybe that's just because they're both, you know, similar size, both from the state of Nevada. Um, but I, I think a guy who, boy – you can work with him. I could see him probably being somebody who's athletic enough to play a number of different spots at linebacker, probably not ever going to be athletic enough to play like in the defensive backfield, but certainly somebody who I, I would be very high on if Oregon did land and, and would be very curious to see kind of what his role with the ducks ends up being. And, and frankly, how does he jump juggle two sports? If he does pick Oregon, we just saw Robbie Ashford kind of focus on right. football after starting uh, uh, with both. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him from a baseball perspective. Um, he's made the decision to to open things up from a football standpoint. It's kind of where his focus is going, but he's going to have some kind of a role in baseball, and it'll be interesting to see um, how that transpires for wherever he lands uh, after that. Um, a couple other players that Oregon has had a really, really strong impression on early on we know Cyrus Moss has loved it. Um, he 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 showed up Saturday, and then um, I, I think he leaves today on on Monday. Really big, big time player for Oregon. Cyrus Moss being recruited to basically replace um, Kayvon Thibodeau when Thibodeau declares for the NFL draft after this upcoming season. Which, by the way, Eric, we should probably mention this. Over the weekend, <laughs> Thibodeau went on Instagram and yeah. posted a photo that he he had graduated um, from the University of Oregon. He he got into a degree, three and three, and basically said he's out after the upcoming season. Um, you know, three and out is what the caption titled was, meaning three seasons and, and off to the NFL. So it's not official, but it's basically kind of officially unofficially official that. Kayvon Thibodeau will be playing his last season at Oregon this fall, which we kind of all expected. Right? I was going to say, I think that was the case in like 2019 when he signed. It was kind of like, yeah. yeah, he'll be here three years and he'll bounce. But by the way, huge, I mean, huge ups to him for getting a, a degree in two and a half years. I was going to say not even full, three full years. That's, that's crazy. It took me four and a half years to do it and I didn't play sports. So um, <laughs> kudos to Kayvon for getting it done like half the time. I don't know how he does that. Obviously he's, you know, they have a little different schedule. They're staying on campus, maybe and doing summer classes. But 
<laughs> that's impressive. Anytime one of these guys graduates in less than three years, I don't know how they do it. Other players um, that I'm not going to say he's going to commit to Oregon, but certainly something to watch. Cameron Williams, four-star offensive tackle from Duncanville, Texas. He is an offensive tackle, right or left. He is massive, six foot five, 360 pounds. He was here for an official visit. He's going to go check out Oklahoma on the 18th. He's going to then go to Texas on the 25th. Miami is another school he's seriously looking at for an official visit. But I, right now, I kind of wonder, is it maybe those three, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Texas? And can Oregon maybe do something that they, that they don't typically do, and that's pluck a, one of the state of Texas's best players from the two premier programs in that region, Oklahoma and Texas? Yeah, I mean, hey, it's gonna be tough sledding. It's going to be tough, but I mean, the, it, the fact that this, it sounds like all indications are, are very positive after those visits, and we just talked about trying to pair some of these kids together from that state. Um, it would be massive. It would be massive, and, and I think not that they need to build pipelines to the state of Texas because I know that they've had some success there, and they've they've made some hires that have also had some success there, but it's not necessarily an area that they've hit very hard in the last couple of classes. And if they can go out and get, a, I don't know, three to four of these guys and they're all high end players that, and I should note that like, these are, these are top tier kids, yeah. you know, and not that Oregon hasn't historically gotten that, but you've seen in the past, certainly sometimes when they reach into some of these other regions, they're taking, players that some of the in-state schools have maybe passed on or maybe prioritized other players and, and you're getting a, you know, a mid three-star player. That's not what these guys are. <laughs> these are, these are some of the best players at their position in the country. And for Oregon to be positioned themselves to be in the conversation is huge. And again, it's going to be tough with the schools that you're going to be up against that have the proximity advantage, Yeah. but who knows, you know, they're going to shoot their shot. And it sounds like what we've heard, very positive versed uh, offerings with those guys. No school in the country better promotes offensive linemen yeah. than Oregon. So Mario Cristobal, Alex Mirabal, um, they will always have Oregon essentially locked in with the nation's best offensive line recruits in the country. We'll wrap it up with this. Uh, Oregon's recruiting class now sits with nine verbal commitments Four of those players are 24-7 sport composite four-star recruits. Five of them are – four of them are three-star. Uh, one of them, Percy Lewis, is unranked, a junior college transfer. Um, that When that ranking gets finalized for Percy uh, Lewis, Oregon's ranking will go up even more. Um, they currently rank first in the Pac-12. And if that trend holds, fourth straight year that they've done that. And they've now moved up to 18th in the country – uh, previous year, they were sixth in the country, best recruiting class in program history. And right now it's, it's trending, Eric, it's, it's slowly going there, but it's trending where Oregon's going to probably get into that top 15, top 10 class range. Once again, from a national perspective. Yeah. What's your, what are you, what are you projecting Matt, in terms of where this class rounds out? And I, and I asked that in part, not, not, not to be critical because this is the very early stages of the class and, and as you said they're probably about half full right now but from an average ranking currently 89.20 um that's significantly less than the last couple cycles last year was the best ever 92 37 yeah. probably going to be difficult to get there but like are, are you expecting this class to be fairly comparable to what we've seen 
the last, you know, three or four years under Cristobal, or are you concerned a little bit just because the average rating is, is lower than it has been before? I think the average rating right now is a little bit lower than it has been just because Percy Lewis isn't ranked. We've already got Blair Anguilla, who's on that recruiting ranking council, um, coming out saying Sir Mills would be higher ranked if camps, you know, had been able to be uh, gone through last year. So I, I'm not too worried yet. I do think it'll probably be tough to get into that top five, top six, top seven range because they're not going to sign probably a full class of 25 guys, at least right now. Maybe it, mm-hmm. things change and that that opens the door for it. But I, I do expect, I think it's a fair expectation that this program finishes inside the top 15. And I, I think it's very realistic that they have a top 10 class, like 10, 9, or 8. Um, in terms of players are going after some of the guys that are going to you know see some rating bumps, guys that they're trending for. Uh, it could very easily climb into that top 10 perspective. So I'm not too concerned right now. Now, you are right, though. Their average rating is considerably lower than what it was the previous year. I mean, eight, it's like three points lower than, than it was the year before. So that is something to look into. But like I said earlier, Percy Lewis, and this is no fault to him. He has nothing to do with this, so I'm not trying to say it in a negative way, but his unranking – uh, his no ranking value is weighing down Oregon's recruiting class right now. You know, you, you throw in even like a, a, a high three-star ranking to him and his and Oregon's ranking will go up. So I'm not too concerned at this moment right now. I, I think it will, it'll improve. Just to provide a little context before we sign off the 2019 and 2020 classes were uh, 0.9060 average rating and 0.90. One nine average rating, so slightly above where we're at now. And those were both classes that finished right around the top 10. Um, so I put that out there to say I, I, I made note of 0. 0.8920 being significantly lower than the 21 class. It's not that far off the pace that they were a couple of years before that. And both those classes ended up around, right around the top 10. So right. I just say that so those listening are like, oh, don't, don't overreact and think that this is going to be a class that finishes like 23rd or something. I just, it is somewhat notable though, that the average rating is slightly lower. And and as Matt says, there's, there's good explanation for that as well. It's going to do it for us here on the Austin audibles podcast. We really appreciate everyone for listening to the show. Continue to download it on iTunes, Stitcher, Google podcasts, whatever you have as well. Um, No YouTube video this week because uh, we're not, we're not doing video this week. Um, We'll get back to that here shortly, but that is something for you to look forward to down the line. You've been listening to another edition of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Talk to you later, folks. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus.